Just take a moment to admire the fact I just hit a fairway. There's, there's, there's only two things that can happen. You can hit a good shot or a bad shot, so why waste time doing it? And where I would go, I, wherever I set course records or whatever, I would be barefooted, drunk, playing golf, making every 20-footer I looked at. Right at it. Right at it! Oh! John He's done it again! This is the dumbest hole I've ever played in my life. Come on then, Shane. Knock it close. Shane Lowry is the Open champion. Okay, so welcome back to another episode of the Fairway Finders. This is episode number 15. We're going to recap the Raider Cup. A bit of a disappointing uh, few days for us uh, as uh, Europeans. However, we are joined by a special guest, Mr. Jeff Feinberg, one of the OGs on the golf betting scene. So, Jeff, how are we? I'm doing great. Thanks for having me on, boys. Always happy to chat some golf. Yeah, thanks so much for um for uh, coming on. Um, I mean, you know, straight off the bat, I guess. Um, do you want to maybe just talk to anyone through, you know, yourself, what you do, um, just so people can can follow you, etc. Yeah, so I work. Uh, well, I guess a like, quick backstory. I spent many years working behind the scenes in sports media here in Toronto, producing television, radio content. Uh, all, at all sort of the, the major networks here. And then a few years ago, I met up with someone most people are familiar with by now, Pat Mayo. We created a bit of a friendship uh, behind the scenes in the office. We didn't really work together at all. And just in some off-air conversations, we just realized we had this knack for, for chatting golf, for discussing golf betting. And it was a space that wasn't really being taken advantage of. And Pat's you know, everything I feel like my buddy Pat touches turns to some sort of gold in this little space. And he's cultivated, uh, you know, a nice little niche in the golf space. And, you know, in the last five or six years, the space has the space has exploded and gambling in general, at least in North America, has exploded. I know a lot of, you know, British, you know, people like uh, Donnie and in, in, um, in Ireland, you know, gambling at your corner store has always been kind of a thing. And that was kind of prevalent for us here in Ontario. But yeah, I don't know. So it's just created a lot of opportunities to to talk gambling and talking golf betting. So that's that's the long and short of it. And I guess I've just been more lucky than good, to be honest, hitting golf winners. I don't know. There's yeah. there's a lot of luck involved. And I'm very self-aware enough to realize that uh, it takes as much luck as anything else. 100%. I think it's a, an empire we can describe it. The, the Mayo, um, Mayo Media Empire is probably more of a, a fitting term. But no, it's great to see how, how he's grown it and, and the, the amount of different coverage that you offer, um, not just golf, but, but all the other sports as well. It's uh, pr- pretty amazing stuff. Yeah, no, I enjoy doing it. Uh, yeah. All, all the time. So follow me on Twitter at gfeinberg17. And me and Pat aren't doing a golf show through football season. That's just something we've done forever um, for our schedules. And it sort of just keeps us a little more sane when we start around the Christmas and the Tournament of Champions. So it's great for me to chat golf here long form. And my picks go up each week at uh, oddschecker.com US. So I'm still doing the golf stuff, but obviously here in yeah, I hear, you know, football, at least in the fall, sort of takes a uh, a front seat. Nice, yeah, because I think, you know, come at the uh, back end of a big, big weekend, um, you know, the Raider Cup, there was a lot of uh, anticipation, you know, behind it. We thought that even though on paper the U.S. team was 
pretty stacked let's be honest we thought that you know it was probably the same case in the last three four five Ryder Cups as well and unfortunately it looks like our time and our luck finally ran out um and you know the U.S. team fair play to them just pretty much just powered through our team pretty easily yeah, I mean, listen, as somebody, and I said this many times in the lead up, I had never wagered on the Americans before in the Ryder Cup. It had been incredibly profitable for me many times, taking that big underdog price with Europe and smiling about it. And even though I didn't even like betting on them in Hazeltine, I still did it because that was the side I felt was right to be on. But I would say there was a point maybe around you know, almost two months ago where it became abundantly clear guys that this middle that Europe was not only going to be um, inferior on paper to no one's surprise, but they were lacking form in almost every regard through the entire middle to back end of their roster. And that was going to be a death nail for them. And it essentially ended up being one. John Rom goes out first in every single match wins pretty much you know, before Sunday, does all he can getting three of a possible three and a half of a possible four points in opening matches. And all Europe has to do is find a way to win one of the other three matches that go in behind John Rom. And this event goes three days to the end with excitement. That didn't happen one time. Didn't happen one time. The second best player on the European team was Victor Hovland. It, for, not even in current form, but just in and just, you know, be it world rankings, rankings yeah. him and Rory. And, I, you know, a guy like Morikawa, who people weren't expecting to play great this week. So it was an easier comment to make before the Ryder Cup. But it was simple for me. Victor Hovland needs to be absolutely perfect for them to have a chance. Colin Morikawa could be an absolute spectator and it would not matter. And obviously he ended up being great. And that's probably one of the reasons that it was as lopsided as it was. Yeah, no, 100%. I think that the big gripe that I have, and I think a lot of Europe have, is definitely the, the score difference between the, the US and, and Europe. We all knew they were up against it. We all knew it was going to be a tough, tough battle over the, the three days. But it, it's just the fact that it was a record score, 19 to 9. Uh, and some of our biggest guys didn't really turn up, i.e. I, Rory, which was a disappointment. Um, Danny, I don't know if you want to jump in with your own thoughts, but it was just um, it was tough to watch. It, it not from a lack of fight, but it just looked like a lack of um, lack of ability in some some corners. They got out. They didn't get out. Like they just got out asked. Like they didn't. You no, know, the Americans didn't want it more. The Americans didn't try harder. It's like a football term. Like you can't. You're a bad college, and you're going up against a team that's full of five star recruits. Like. There's almost nothing you can do. There's nothing Potty could have done. There's no matchup that could have made a difference. I understand sending Sergio out in the afternoon at day one maybe could have made the smallest of margins. No captain's picks. It just felt like, yeah, finally, maybe the the paper Tiger Americans finally woke up. Although this one felt like it was different, guys. Even beforehand, it felt like the paper discrepancy was far larger because... A, the old guard of Europe, great players, but they don't have their fastball anymore. They don't have their fastball. And they're going up against a bunch of young Americans who got 100-mile-an-hour fastballs. And on top of that, that second wave of your Hattons, your Casey's, your Fleetwoods, that that had to be so great 
we're, we're A, in bad form, and B, obviously, didn't find form. Yeah, I mean, I actually agree with that. I think people saying, like, and, you know, I am one of them saying, oh, Podrick's picks were poor and it could have helped us. But, you know, when I say it could have helped us, I mean, it, we, we could have gotten maybe one to two points closer to America. I don't, you know what I mean? I don't think it's going to be, oh, Podrick ruined it and caused us to lose. I totally agree. I think the disparity in the two teams was massive. Even, like, even the whole eight out of the top 11 players in the world were on the US team. Like even that alone should have had it been a huge like indication. I know in the past it, it it hasn't been, but I mean, that was a huge, huge difference. So, you know, all the players are young, they're hungry, and they had the one or two good locks in, you know, DJ, um, Speed, uh, JT, who's been there before and, and, you know, won so many points before. And, you know, I don't know, I just... I was extremely dis disappointed with our Rory. Um, I thought it showed great character for him to come back on the Sunday and win the way he did. Um, I, I, I genuinely felt really bad for Ram because I just think he was simply tired from carrying the team on the first two days. It's he said, yeah, that. he said himself, um, he was asked, he was asked about the experience and he said himself that Ram, he says, I had to play freaking amazing to get every, each of my matches to the 16th hole. Like yeah, he had yeah. to, he had to bring his A game because we just ran from a European perspective, um, just ran into a buzzsaw. Like I've never even, I've never even seen at a Ryder Cup. I mean, I was, I was lucky enough to be there at the K Club in two thousand and six when I think we won. Did we win eighteen? Won well. Eighteen and a half, nine and a half. Well, yeah, and and it was more to do with. It was more to do with some like really substandard American players down the like the like your Brett Wetericks and and JJ Henry. No disrespect to those guys, but <laughs> like the US went in um, with six rookies. They won fifteen and a half points between them. Every single player on the team won a point. And I think what was what's crucial to this renaissance um, for American golf in this format, obviously always incredibly strong, is. They're unburdened. They're unburdened one by the scars of past defeats, and they're also unburdened by, oh shit! I now have to share a team room with Tiger, and he's terrifying. And I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to act. And I think that would maybe extended to Phil in certain respects too. Um, like that. That side is now already being talked about as one of the greatest in Ryder Cup history. And if you look purely from a numbers perspective. But the numbers that DJ and Morikawa were putting up in foursomes, I think on day one they were, were they five under or six under in foursomes? You, Crazy. Yeah. On you fire, can't compete yeah. with that. Yeah. You just can't. You can't compete with it. And you hit on something that was really a point I did try to drive home in my attempts to convince people that I don't think it's going to be the same old, that I think trying to rely on the past here is dead wrong. A, for starters, at home, either America has been really good or lost like at the wire with a collapse in the recent ones. So you're just taking that alone and then adding the talent. And now these new Ryder cups, you know, the course, the course setups. I mean, I remember when the eighties or something, they were nineties, they went to PGA national. That's essentially a European course on American soil. They'll never go back there for a Ryder cup. No one on that <laughs> Ryder cup team even wants to go to the Honda classic anymore. Cause it's not a course suit for how these American golfers play. But too much was made of the past and the sins of Tiger and Phil in some ways held them back. It just 
not so much to say Tiger Phil held them back is ridiculous, but I'll make the contrast in what you see from John Rom now. And I tweeted about it on Sunday. If I'm a fan of Europe, it is so great to see because I expect Rom, while it could fluctuate, number one player in the world, there's four or five guys we all know are so great. I do believe he's better. I don't just think it's a moment thing. He is the best player in the world. I expect him to own it. If he falls out of it for a little, he's going to get it right back. But he's going to enter these Ryder Cups with a record that will dwarf Tiger Woods. He is going to enter these Ryder Cups as the leader of Europe, as the captain of Europe, and everybody who else is on those teams is have to going to have to get behind him, get in line behind him emotionally. Well, you said it. You'd show up at a Ryder Cup, and there's Tiger. And it's like, okay, now what? Let's just follow his lead. And it seems like the only guy nowadays with America who somewhat has that in him is Brooks. And even Brooks is, has the self-awareness and smart enough to realize, okay, I got to do a team thing here. I can do this. Like, I'll suck it up and do it. And, you know, he almost, he jokes two days before the event, his body's glass. And then he goes up for, two, goes out for two days on Saturday in a blowout. Never believe a thing he says, but yeah, 100%. so much is made of it. And that is, that is the fire though, that Europe will have. Even if people think the tides are turning and it's impossible to argue the tides aren't turning. And it's honestly impossible to argue that in two years, the tides can be that different in four years and six years. I totally could. I don't want to go that far that down road because things can change. Yep. But for two years from now, but Europe gets to know that ROM is there. Like ROM, they don't have that tiger energy at the top. It's a ROM energy. And that will allow them as underdogs to have that much more fight than, than European, than American led tiger teams. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I think I think Ram's nationality too. Um, there's there's an there even though you know it's an entire continent brought from loads of different nationalities and certain contexts, even though it's all in, packed into one continent. The Spanish legacy in the Ryder Cup is a huge part of John Ram now. It's in his veins. He's how many times has he referenced Seve and during that week and speaking about Ollie and that, and almost if you if you wanted to pick a nation in Europe to have the best player in the world come from in the context of a Ryder Cup, I think it's Spain. We, we, we weren't around um, when it was just Great Britain and Ireland against the States, and then when they expanded it in 1979, it's really Seve who's galvanised this tournament into what it's become, into, into, I think it's the biggest event in golf. I'm okay for someone who thinks it's the Masters. I'm okay if someone thinks it's the US Open. That's fine. For me... I, I was totally echoing Rory's point and and I got almost got goosebumps listening to Rory. I didn't want to see Rory so upset. Off the watch. Rory gets it. And I mean, yet again, Rory, just his ability to make fans of people more so off the course than when he's actually playing on the course is just incredible. He's really thoughtful. He totally gets it. He gets what it's like to be a fan of the Ryder Cup. And um, Yeah, so, that's one thing. Donnie, sorry to cut across you. That's one thing that no, pisses me it. off, pisses me off a lot. And and uh, Brew, I'll call you out on this as well. With, with McElroy, is there's a a narrative going around about him that he he doesn't care, that he's he's not interested in golf day to day, and like all you have to do is watch that interview, and there's nothing nothing staged, there's nothing fake about it. It's just him coming off the 18th, or not even the 18th, uh, and be just being, uh, oh, was the 18th? Was it? I don't know. He was absolutely devastated anyway, and like how anyone can can question him is is beyond me i think hopefully that that argument is now put to bed 
that he's. I think uh, no, I, I I think that's fair. I mean, I think you know after seeing that interview, it did definitely swing me back to you know Rory does care, but I mean at the end of the day, he was absolutely fucking shit Friday Saturday. So <laughs> you can cry all you want, lad, but you were absolutely awful. You didn't show up. You showed up on yeah, the Sunday, but it's golf. Today, it's you know, golf, bro. If you're fighting with your swing, he's in bad, bad form, and you saw. I mean, that is every. That is not a course. If you're in bad form on that course, like you, you have Rory's record. Like you, you score like Rory does. You shoot like Rory does. There is no finding form showing up at a place like that. It is, it is death. And you saw whether it was Hatton or a couple guys having to just slog around and do all they could to just not, you know, fall in the ocean at times. Um, yeah. in that Don't event you. and America I guess was lucky or, or maybe the pairings no one you know Berger I guess of anyone was probably the loosest by loose I mean like was just the only American golfer like consistently hitting loose shots no one else did it consistently yeah. well, maybe maybe well actually Harris English played pretty solid too and um, we didn't make too many mistakes he didn't make huge amount of birdies <laughs> Um, what I thought was a really hilarious narrative that I wasn't buying into before this kicked off is Whistling Straits was built to look like Ireland. And it does. It does. on By the coast, Link style golf course. And even Paul McGinley was pushing this narrative about, oh, the wind is up this week. This is going to help the Europeans. This is a 7,800 yard monster that needs the most elite level of ball striking again and again and again. How did they think this was going to suit Europe? It, when you had, when you had Maddie Fitz on the team, when you had Lee Westwood on the team, no disrespect to them, but they got Lee Westwood first day and they, they got, got paired up. And the fact he went out in the afternoon, absolutely, like I have a lot of respect for Harrington, but the fact he stuck Matt Fitzpatrick out again, who's a great putter, don't get me wrong, but he's he's a nothing player besides that. He's not a guy that's going to give you a fist pump or a roar if he knocks a putt in. I, you know, uh, I I couldn't believe it. I'll be honest. Yeah. I've said there's nothing Padre could have done. There really isn't, but I'll go back to say maybe the worst decision he did make, despite maybe sitting Sergio in the afternoon on the day one was day one morning, sending those two out as his anchor pairing of Fitzpatrick and Westwood. And I don't want to compare this to the Solheim cup. It's not fair, but if you watch that thing on the Friday morning, that thing was tied. It was going to end tied literally like two, two, and then in the last two holes in both matches, the European anchors just flipped their matches and Europe went up 3-1 in the Solheim or something big and it never went backwards. Like it was over from that moment. And the anchor in morning one, the, the anchor in almost every session to me is as important as the first. It's like, get the first, Definitely. get the last and hope for something in the middle to Definitely. break your way. And the session is yours. And the US did that. Because they sent Speed and Thomas out first, despite losing, they identified that as a power team, and Cantley and Shoffley out last, yeah. and they identified that as their two power team. Now, granted, DJ and Morikawa were great, and you broke down their alt shot numbers, which are mind boggling. But the concept was no, I'm sending the, that, and I thought Shoffley and Cantley were the best team going into the week. And when Stricker sent them out as his day one anchor morning, like okay, versus those guys, that was, that was bad. That was yeah. bad. And particularly with a guy like Shane Lowry sitting on the sidelines, who you yes. know the Ryder Cup means so much to him as well. Judging by his like his reaction on the 
the Saturday afternoon holding that pot on on eighteen was my favorite moment of the week. So, yeah, well, that definitely. was the only thing we could share. That was yeah. literally it yeah. for us. Aside yeah. from that, there was no other reasons to get a punt. Um, to be fair, that, I mean, that Rory, Spaniards, yes, but. that Rory win on on Sunday was pretty special as well, yeah. and, and the whole thing around that. Rory's think win, Westwood's win, Poulter's win, and Lowry like just looking like a dog. Yeah, for can, can, yeah. can we actually give? Can we actually give a shout out? Particular shout out to Lee Westwood, who was it that is 11th Ryder Cup? I think it was 11th, right? He's he's he had to win three of his last four holes to win one up in a match that was redundant, but most likely that will be the last time he plays the Ryder Cup. He's the whole record amount of matches, I think it's 47. And to have the stones, even though in that difficult environment, different situation, he could have easily just thrown his clubs in the fucking lake. He wanted to win for himself, for his legacy so badly, more importantly for his team, just to get a point on the board. And I thought that was really ballsy. And it's a shame that I didn't really get any coverage. It wouldn't. Yeah. The Lord of Cup was over at this point. But shout out to Lee Westwood, because that was uh, that was impressive stuff. Yeah, and also, getting... yeah sorry, sorry. Steve, oh. Yeah, I was just going to say, I was going to say that the most, the most disappointing thing for me, uh, or one of them anyway, was the fact that, um, the, the venue, the course, the setup, everything was, I thought, unbelievable. One, one of the better Ryder Cup courses that are out there. And the fact that we didn't get a close, like, can you imagine if it was going down, it was, it was I don't know, 14, 13, uh, going down to the last couple of groups and those last three finishing holes at Whistling Straits, that part 317th, which is an animal, and yeah. uh, the 18th hole in itself is just an absolute beast as well. So I don't know when the the... The Ryder Cup will be back at Whistling Straits, but it's just uh, particularly with the crowd and the fans, and they were so into it as well. If we got a close one, I think it could have been one of the more special Ryder Cups um, that, that were out there. But hopefully, hopefully, we'll see it again. So, I guess from my perspective, talking to you guys, and I made a comment already that you know, obviously they could do something, you know, the course can be an ultimate equalizer and just turning it into shot makers and less driving and pure ball striking in Rome. But how do you guys see this next? I mean, I'm not here to say U.S. won one after losing seven of nine to say, you know, there have been some ridiculous comments this week about, you know, almost people talking like they talked about the President's Cup like 15 years ago. That's insane. But as, as fans of Europe, as guys that are paying attention to what is coming, it does seem like you're stuck between two eras without reinforcements at this very moment. Um, what, what is, you know, what are your prospects of best case scenario? So from, from my perspective, I think this comes down to one massive question, which I'd like to get your perspectives on is, are we looking, have we got a problem with the Ryder cup setup now that we've had four blowouts in a row, all of which to the home side, it seems like, winning away from home is becoming more and more insurmountable. I mean, Glenny, well, sorry, not Glenny Eagles, that was 2014. Paris was not majorly competitive in the main. And my question is, like, how much of a factor is, is the home crowd? Like, do we need to have standardized setups? Do we need to make it a little bit less advantageous to the home side? Surely it must be really difficult to have your opponent getting cheered for, you know, taking their driver out of the bag like Bryson, which I was all all for, by the way, as a as an entertainer, as a spectacle, Bryson's box office. And I've I've become a fan of Bryson. I'll just tell you that now. But um, <laughs> he gets a mad cheer for that. 
and you could split the fairway with a beautiful like 330 yard sling and draw and you'll get a boo and you've got to deal with that for three days it's all part and parcel of the Ryder Cup I'm not saying you need to um, get rid of the, the partisan crowds or anything obviously not it's what makes the Ryder Cup special but we'll, I guess we'll find out now in Rome because in two years America are going to come to Rome They'll still have the chip on their shoulder. They'll want to press on their advantage. And Europe are in a massive dogfight to make sure that doesn't happen. Right now, I don't know how it doesn't happen. Come back to me with a month ago, and I might be talking about the Hogarth brothers winning on the PGA Tour, or who knows who else would come out, you know, goon guys. Seamus Power dominating, dominating yeah. the PGA. Seamus Power. Always goes back to Seamus Power. Squeedle, et cetera, yeah. So... I think something you said there would be something I would be the most in favor of, which maybe is to find a governing body of this event that's made up of people from both sides when it comes to course selection and weekly course setup of the event. Again, we're not here to take away the crowds. The crowds are everything. But it does seem like, you know, as I mentioned, like there was a time where on American soil, they went to PGA National. That seems beyond unfathomable right now that, that the PGA of America would allow this event to go to PGA National. And, yeah. and I doubt you know, that they would want to send this in Europe to places um, you know, that the Americans could just drive the greens all day as some like old Scottish courses could probably allow for in 2022 and, and beyond. So maybe that is a fix. Maybe that is an easy fix, but... Maybe we're just overreacting in a in a small blip, and we've got to just see a couple couple more play out. But Beth Page is not going to be fun for Europe either. No, it's not. No, and that that really puzzles me as a Ryder Cup venue in general. And also, I would make a a, a guess way off in in advance that that's going to be a crowd on a whole new level of <laughs> of of jacked let's yeah. just call it that new york yeah i mean i've <laughs> joked a few times i don't know how far polter is in the chain but it's almost like a polter phil uh captaincy just to even make it throw more gasoline on that that beth page crowd that polter's had a lot of history with yeah absolute showbiz definitely <laughs> that, that, that season happy gilmore with the beach ball shooter mcgavern having to burst the beach ball with his fucking butter <laughs> it doesn't seem Damn a million people. miles away <laughs> yeah but the, the other thing as well is that another factor that i think has to be considered is there was no or minimal european fans at, at whistling straits because of yeah. travel restrictions and we can't get into the u.s that in Canada so like I well I know I personally would have flown down to, to go watch it and I'm sure there's thousands upon thousands of people that would have come over and, and made it more of a you know a fifth well not 50 50 but more of a uh, giving stick back to the US and, and things like that so I think that's that is another disappointment as well not to not to sound like the, the fucking negative man on the, the podcast today but not having the the European fans there was uh although we did see a few there's always always an Irish flag yeah, that's bad for TV I didn't yeah, like it because it, it allowed the booze normally yeah. like on the first tee. I'm sure there were booze all the time. Like yeah. I'm sure Hazeltine had booze. I'm sure there are booze in the past with those great European crowds and the cheering and the songs when there's thousands of them can sort of mask the, the idiots that want to boo a guy being announced on the first tee. Exactly. Um, but you know, yeah, I'll give you a point or two would have been great to see again. I, I doesn't matter. Like, what are we talking about still? So but we, I, I totally agree. The event does lose something 
when that traveling European contingent can't show up without a it doubt. Does. Yeah, so we get a point or two for that, and then we we bench Fitzpatrick for a couple of sessions. There's another point or two. That that's four points crawl back. Clutching at straws a little bit here, but uh, there was an uh, interesting take that one of our listeners, um, Andrew Fitzgerald, had uh, had tweeted into us earlier on, um, and he made a really interesting point about Rory. And like usually in elite sport, you're talking about the small margins. You're talking about that inch by inch, that um, that uh, famous Al Pacino uh, speech in any given Sunday. But uh, he said, like, if you took Rory, let's say you have Rory, a firing Rory McIlroy, who was who was in good form and, you know, played to his ability. Could he have turned around those two games? Yes. And if Rory had won his two more matches, it's now 9-7 and it's game on. And, I, like, I... I don't think like he, he wasn't playing. They got they got washed five and three in the morning. So, but it's just no, but interesting. I, you, you're not. It's it's. I get why. Like as a European fan, you just say to yourself, "Rom got us the point." In like the first three sessions, Rom gets us the point. All we needed was one of our other really good players to get us a goddamn point. Even <laughs> out sessions, we go to the next session still alive, still a pulse, still ready to fight. Put a sense of doubt in them. There was never a doubt because no one other than Rom could make it feel like there was going to be a fight and they couldn't to not get a single point behind rom like in any session but the saturday afternoon that's that's really where it was over yeah yeah i also think that like realistically going forward like going back to 2023 like you know the change in the american team from the last Ryder cup to this one there were six rookies like you're looking at all six of those rookies though they're elite I'm really scared. I don't know if Europe has that. Like, like you look, you have your Seamus Powers, you have your Guidos. You can, you know, couldn't maybe talk. Look at like Sam Horsfield, th- those types of players. Like, but really, are they at the caliber of the US? I don't know. I, I really don't. Not at all. Like, no, two-time so, major winner making his rookie appearance. Yeah, that's that, what I mean. Do you know what I mean? So, like, honestly, like, I'm not trying to be negative, like Steve said earlier, but. I'm very scared that that US team could steamroll us two or three, four Ryder Cups in a row. I hope that doesn't happen, but I know this is just a a kind of a, a like reflection on what just happened and we're probably overthinking it a bit, but like, Christ, that US team, they're all in their like mid to late 20s, fuck. Like they could be they're dominating. So, so frighteningly good. Yeah, you know, do you know what I mean? So there, uh, DJ's the old guy. DJ's the old man of the team. It's yeah. scary. It's scary. Absolutely, he is. So yeah, I mean, I think it's a, uh, it, I don't know, I think it's a very, very large hill or mountain, I suppose you'd say, for the Europeans to climb. Um, just praying that we have some of the uh, the good young talent that is in Europe playing the European tour. I really hope that you know one or two of them can kick on, like uh, Seamus Power, you know, and uh, win over in the US and you know try and. Uh, Try and get us, you know, uh, an old PGA, a few, a few PGA wins, maybe even a cheeky major. I know how to fix it. I know how to fix it. Rory Sabatini, there's your answer. I thought you were going to. I thought I honestly thought you were going to say, "Don't pick Rory for a second. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, no, we've had the we've had the wrong Rory all along, lads. That's it. Me? That's it. Yeah, right. Let, let's leave the the Ryder Cup in the in the, in the back mirror this time, and, and let's let's move on to the future. Maybe something more positive and. Uh, try and get a, a couple of winners and, and obviously well, uh, uh, in, in fairness on a positive note I will say I was 
just superb as a, as a massive golf fan, just like lover of good golf. Like it was a pleasure to watch that United States side. And, and it was a pleasure to see them have a good laugh as well. Like I was all for JT school of the beer. I'm all for it. Loved it. I think golf is, I yeah, think I golf needs to move with the times. And I think golf is in some areas is kind of stuck up itself to a damaging degree to the sport. And I'm all for hoodies and I'm all for having beers and I'm all for pumping up the crowd and I'm all for Bryson driving the first and making an eagle. Um, so it was a pleasure to watch as painful as it was as a European fan to see us get absolutely rinsed. It was a pleasure to see how good that US team were. So congrats. Um, really, really quality stuff. And as someone who isn't American, I am, you know, Canadian and I have mentioned how yeah. much I've been a part of her, you know, as Commonwealth been on the Amer the European side so many times. Well, I don't want to draw conclusions about what is coming. And I, you know, I wouldn't be shocked to see someone, you know, like a Keimer or somebody, you know, win again and make the team again. I need to close this by just letting you guys know and everyone know, like the memories and the respect I have for that guard of European golf, that Ryder Cup guard, you know who I'm talking about. I don't need to list the names that have been such a part of, of the last, you know, five to 10 of them gave me some of the best golf memories of my life, of my life. I will cherish that group. I will remember that group like forever, forever. And I'm not saying I expect Sergio might have another one in them and someone might get some steam. And if the team isn't as competitive as you guys hope, there'll be room for maybe a couple of them to get hot and make a team again. But all of them, even the ones that haven't been on the last couple from a GMAC to a Keimer, like all of them, I'll go to my grave, like loving what they gave me. And I'm not even European. And I'll, that's, that's how I could close this. Like nothing but the utmost respect for what that group did as a whole time and time again. Here, here. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Um, but yeah, mo moving on to uh, week number two of the, the new PGA Tour season. Uh, we are at uh, Jackson, Mississippi for the Sanderson Farms Championship. Um, so just to give a quick quick run through of the, the course, we're playing on Bermuda grass greens this week. It's a 7,462-yard par 72. Uh, defending champion is a guy we, we were just uh, giving some props to, is, is Sergio Garcia coming back to defend his crown. Uh, he's a 20-to-1 shot the last time I checked. Um, and a little bit of hesitation in terms of getting on Sergio just because maybe he's uh, emotionally drained from, from losing the, the Ryder Cup. Um, but yeah, we, we have a, a pretty good field in, in terms of guys leading top of the betting. Uh, we have Sam Burns, recent winner, uh, number one favourite. We have Will Zalatoris, who I think a, a win is just around the corner for uh, Sergio Garcia and Corey Connors lead the betting uh, at the moment anyway um so boys I'll, I'll swing it over to you um maybe donny who, who, who you who you got this week who are your, who your picks yeah I'll, I'll really quickly give you three i'm all over that meetup Pereira train i love him um he went close he went close um the week before the Ryder cup um I think it would be actually we we should do a little bet who's gonna who's gonna win on the pga tour first is it gonna be Mito Pereira or is it gonna be will Zalatoris? I see a bit of fire in Mito Pereira in terms of his ability to to play under pressure, and he's got a little bit of that 
like that you know that's that latin american kind of john ram energy um busts the ball a mile he's he's flying in in price now every week because he's playing so well and he seems to be a little bit of a birdie machine so he's 28 to 1 this week um he was the first player in i think 5 years to get automatic PGA Tour status from winning three times on the Corn Ferry, so that's that's become a bit of a unicorn um, of of someone who can pull that off on the Corn Ferry, and we know how competitive the Corn Ferry Tour is now. They're they're producing killers that are ready made to come out onto the PGA and do things. So that's Mito at twenty eight to one. I'm back in Matthew Wolf. I'm ignoring recent form. I just think 40 to 1 for the ability of that guy is way, way, way too big. This is a course that is very much going to reward Tita to Green Golf. Um, both Mito Prayer and Maddie Wolf will be at the sharp end of uh of driving distance. And I think Matthew Wolf of 40 to 1. I feel like he will be in Rome if I were to now I and I very much hope that uh, his his health problems. Um, clear up and he can push forward and he can be more comfortable out on the course and and you know get back to loving golf again but I think he'll be in Rome in a couple of years I think he probably would have looked at that during the week last week and been re- very envious of the 12 guys who were there so I'll take Maddie Wolf at 40 to 1 just based on the price I think it's great value and I'm going to have I'm going to take a, a big swing at JT Poston at 125 to 1 who was third in this last year he's got a really really good record in the Sanderson Farms um, I think he's posted a couple of top fives, but anyway, he was third last year. Um, I think 125 to one is worth a little bit of money um, at a big price. I'll just interject and say, I haven't bet your two top picks yet. I've been thinking about them, but I do love them <laughs> in the sense of when, when discussing outright betting, you know, trust me, I'll name you some guys and, two or three of them are probably losers. I'm not going to insult uh, your boy here, who I'm going to name in a moment. But I bet Mito and Wolf, they're just winners. They're winners. Exactly. And you're betting on who's going to I'm win a- this thing. And you might miss a cut. And that happens every week. We all make bets, guys that miss cut. And the Wolf bet reminds me so much of Homa, who I didn't bet two weeks ago, but discussed mm-hmm. on all the podcasts or anything I did. He's 60 to one. I don't want to bet him, but... He brings win equity. Like I know he might win this. I'm not betting him, but how like he has so much more win equity than everyone, like 80% of the players listed ahead of him. And I can make the case for both of, of power and wolf much the same or Mito and wolf much the same. I guess I teased who I have money on. Hey, <laughs> you're going to make love it. Week with love this it. One. You're going to make Steve's week. Jeff, do you know what? We, we won't keep you any longer. How about you get straight into your, Okay, so I'm not done yet. I'm not done. It's still early in the week, and this has been a tough one. Um, If I did go to the top, like under 20, 20 to 1, Will Zalatoris would be my favorite pick. But I got no interest. I'd rather bet more bodies and have a little more fun um, this week. So I've made three bets already. Harold Varner, I bet at 40 to 1. Seamus Power, I bet at 50 to 1. And Chris Kirk, I bet at 80 to 1. Uh, I don't know. I'm such a sucker for Varner, but he played really well in the FedEx Cup. And then we went to that event a couple weeks ago in Napa. I'm like, I don't want Varner. He only plays well in like hard events. And he played great. He played great in Napa. And I think this event sets up for his ball striking. And Seamus Power, I think, is that sort of I don't want to overrate him. You do that enough here. It seems every week. Yeah. Own fan club. <laughs> and he does seem like a very 
complete golfer for this golf course. So that was actually the first bet I made. And I didn't think I was going to, I didn't even subconsciously realize I was going to be on a show with you guys when I made that bet. And uh, Chris Kirk, this time of year, I think his ball strike, he could just pepper those flags all around. I got an 80 to one on him. So those are the three bets that I have made already for, for Sanderson. Very good. Jeff, I'll, I'll send you a link to uh, the, the Seamus Power fan club page okay. that I set up. It, it's just me and it, <laughs> just, just me and it so far, but I'm always always happy to get some new members, Brew. I think you're, you're keen to yeah, I'm, I, get, I'm in there a bit as well, to be fair. Get involved as well. Um, I actually have to say I'm pretty funny because I put my bets on last night and funny that I have Jeff's approval and Donnie's approval for both because my picks is Willie Zalatoris and Mito Pereira. Um, yeah. I think as Donnie said, who's going to win first? That's my thinking. And I think one of them will win. So, I mean, I, I just didn't bother picking anyone else. I think it's going to be one of those two players. I got Willie Zalatoris at 16 to one, bid short, fine. Um, and I got Mito Pereira at 33 to one last night. So um, nice, nice. I'm very happy with, with uh, that price. So, yeah, I mean, there's no point in me even like, trying to explain the bet. You've already talked about it. I'm pretty happy. So yeah. We'll see, the that. only thing about Zalatoris is we haven't, we haven't seen him. Have we? Like we haven't really seen him down the stretch. I mean, when he's when he was down the stretch at the Masters, he had a look for maybe three or four holes. It looked like he potentially could give Hideki a bit of trouble, but I mean, not really. Um, yeah. It'd just be interesting to see how how yeah, really Z. You want to see guys heat. taste smoke? Like you think they need to taste it a little before they get there. Yeah. I will take the other side, and obviously I'm picking the favorite in this. I think Will Zalatoris wins before Mito, only in that I think Will Zalatoris' game is a little more evergreen. Well, Mito, I could be wrong, but like the ability – listen, the guy dominated the Corn Fairy Tour. We said it. If you win there, you could probably win anywhere in the world. Like as much as he did, like you're just a winner – but it does seem like the resort course, the type of cam champ course, yeah. courses that maybe lack certain trouble. Your will 20 be a under place par golf courses. That yeah. he can dominate. Well, well, Zalatoris feels like his game will translate to all different types of courses um, a lot better. So if I was asked, like, who's going to win, I, I'm probably still going to take the chalk with Will. The, the only problem yeah. is I, I, I've had a recurring dream recently. I'm playing a lot of golf. I had a nightmare a couple of weeks ago, and all the nightmare was was I had Willie's Al Torres's putting stroke, and I woke <laughs> up in a cold sweat, and I was just, and then every time I saw like any bit of terrain that was mildly downhill, I had to sit down. Yeah, uh, it happens. It's, it's harsh on him, but like I, I will. I, he's, he's great from twenty feet. He's yeah. He scared the life out of you from three feet, but he's he's very solid from twenty feet. That being said, though, since we are talking in the swing season in the fall season. I do think the courses they do play over the next couple months really do fit into that Mito sweet spot. Like you're looking for poor man's cam chant. Like I'll probably have a bet on Luke list by the time the weekends, like you're just looking for poor man's version of, of what those guys at 20, 30 to one can do a lot of the time. And Mito is like that elite version of it at the moment, to be honest. Yep. So, um, my own picks then just to go, I'm taking a little bit of a different angle, um, Jeff. So you mentioned you're, you're picking winners. So I'm, I'm picking, I pick honest, losers. picking serial, serial losers, but that are 
ready ready to win again. So just before you say, Steve, can I just tell you if you back Paul Casey again within the next four months, you're banned. You're I banned might. from the podcast for a week. All right. If, if it's a strokes gained approach kind of golf course, <laughs> I, I might have to get on him. I'll, I'll see. I can't make any promises. Don. I bet and roster him too much too. So I know, yeah. I can't, just, I'm a sucker as well. Yeah, I, yeah. yeah. and I, I've been suckered in by my second pick today as well. But uh, first up for me, the, the main bet of the week is Charlie Hoffman at uh, at thirty to one. Um, so Hoffman, he had a decent enough season last year. So he made twenty six of his twenty nine cuts. He had five top ten finishes, and he actually finished uh, tied sixth at this course last year. The big attraction for me with Hoffman is that. Uh, he ranks in the, the top 10 of strokes gained putting on Bermuda grass, um, which we're playing on this week. And he's also uh, an, an approach, strokes gained approach monster, which I think is going to be crucial. So he hasn't won in four years. He's been, I remember watching him in the Canadian Open um, when DJ was playing a couple of years ago and he, in Glen Abbey. And uh, he was right up there, didn't get the job done. But uh, compare, comparing him to... Uh, Will Zalatoris, who hasn't won before. You're getting 30 to 1 on Charlie Hoffman. I'm all in on him this week. Um, and my second bet, I was toying with just, just doing Charlie Hoffman, but I thought a one and done was a little bit boring. Uh, so I added in another guy who's my my usual soccer pick, who's Emiliano Grio at 70 to 1, which I thought was massively overpriced for him. So Grio is he he is def, in my opinion, the most frustrating golfer to back on tour. Um, so last year he finished uh, 20th on tour, strokes gain off the tee, and he finished uh, 13th uh, on approach as well. So you're thinking that that's probably stats of a serial winner. Uh, Grio hasn't won since I think it's 2015 was the last time he won. He went close at the RBC Heritage when when Sink won earlier in the year. And um, but it's it's just a matter of time. And I think it, I think a course like this will suit him, where it's pretty generous off the tee. It, it puts an emphasis on approach. And if you look at the, from a, not to get too stats heavy, but if you look at the last few winners, none of them have been in like, I think the top 10 in, in putting for the week to, to win it. Yeah, so I it's think not it, a, it's not a putting contest this week. Exactly. It's the team no putt. Exactly. No so if I think if I'm putting my team no putt together, I think uh, Grio is up there and then probably Zalatoris seven feet and in is up there as well so i think 70 to one for a guy like him is is a little bit overpriced i think there's a little bit of value there um eight places each way uh with uh with william hill so i'm i'm on the the Grio train and he's probably someone i'm gonna back if there's 30 events in a season i'm probably backing him 20 times and maybe breaking even on him but uh i just can't miss his win if i'm if i'm not on Grio's win i'm gonna be a very very angry man so Two picks, Grio, 70 to one, Hoffman, 30 to one. I bet Hoffman in Napa. I'm tempted still in some ways to find some exposure to him this week because he's been playing great down the stretch for a while. Yeah. Rio, I spoke about in my odds checker conversation with Rick Gaiman and essentially made some of the points you did and that this number just seems really large in a, in a bad field where I think just before the FedEx Cup, when we had the... Um, we had a WGC and we had a subfield event. He was the favorite. Yep. I remember. Is, I remember. Listen, well. I like, yeah. He was the favorite. And, and now he's 70. And listen, I understand this isn't subfield, but this is like six guys from looking like a subfield. Like it's not a normal. Much, no, it, it, it is. I mean, Sam Burns is your favorite. 
Okay, so yeah, it has a lot of subfield characteristics yeah. we can agree upon. Place. And now Grio is 70 when a month ago he was the favorite in a subfield. So yeah, great, great, great point. You you'd be okay missing Grio at 18 to 1. You'd be yeah. quite angry to miss him at 60 or 70 in the oh, field. I, I know he's he seems to be a bit of a a bit of a tipster, not even a tipster's dream, but just in golf circles, like we, we had Jason Sabell on to do the Ryder Cup preview with us, uh, very good of him. We had a really good laugh with him. And he was chatting up Grio for what was what events for for the Fortinet, yeah. And was really bullish on Grio. And I've been on Grio plenty of times in the past. Like I still think he I I still think Emiliano Grio can get up and win a green jacket. I really do. Ah, I think he's stop. got the game for it. I, I used really, to sit, really do. I used to sit with Mayo and say he is going to win a big boy pants party. Like I didn't know yeah. what event it was, wasn't as bold enough to say a major, but like a big boy pants party. And I it's been two years probably since I uttered those words about him my memories of emiliano now are thinking he hit a perfect putt it doesn't go in and he flips the bird to the hole like yeah. that's really <laughs> what you're get, could get so, sums him up perfectly that. sums them all perfectly do you know what i mean i've also set up the uh the emiliano grio fan club as well which is is currently at one member so um <laughs> no no he, i'm in i'm in that you, you oh, can yeah. totally, and ben you raza can totally ben raza one of uh he's he's always he's like you he's team grio to the to the death Beautiful. There you go. Donnie, any um if we swing it over to Europe very quickly, have you done much uh, research? Yeah, on the, yeah. The so I, this is one of my favorite events. I love the Dunhill Links. I love Links Golf. Um, I've been pretty successful in picking winners in this down the years. I remember I've had I've had Harrington, I've had um I've had a few decent wins. Um so anyway, uh this is a really unique event because it's over three courses up in Scotland. Two one of the most iconic places in the world, the Hong Golf St. Andrews, one of the really um, kind and generous to Kings Barnes by letting them play there as well. So they play there over the course of the four days. There's also a pro-am that's going on too. The first round leader market. Um, now, I think when we're recording, I don't think the draw has been made, but it's going to be made pretty soon. If you're in the first round leader market, everyone who is anyone who is going to be in that market is going to be playing Kings Barnes on the first day. So if you're in Carnoustie, it doesn't matter who the golfer is. Don't go near it. If someone is leading after the first round and playing Carnoustie, they've had the time of their absolute lives. So um, the first round leader market is going to be really interesting. Just look at guys probably going to have their track. And so this is the 20 year anniversary of the Dunhill links in its current guys. Um, with the three different events, guys who've won it in the past. So I've had Hatton, who's won it twice. Porrick Harrington's won it twice. He's actually in the field this week, um, which is interesting. Westwood's won it. Keimer's won it. And the last renewal of it was Victor Perez in 2019. There's a pro-am, as I mentioned, runs a lot, runs along with it. So you get a lot of uh, sporting heroes from other sports taking their hand and playing the pro-am and a few celebrities as well. So some of those who are playing this week, Greg Kinnear is playing, Shane Warren, Luis Figo, Jamie Redknapp, Steve Redgrave, Tony McCoy, a whole host of others. Um, that's an interesting angle. Over the coverage, you might see the odd shot um, from those guys. So that's good. Uh, in terms of picks, this week, I've got three picks, one of which I'm really, really, really bullish on. So I'll start with him. So I'm picking Matty Jordan at 60 to 1. So Matthew Jordan was fifth in this last year. He was tied 32nd 
sorry, fifth to last time it was played in 2019. Um, he's got really good form. So in his last five starts, he's got three top 15s. He was fourth at Omega up in the mountains, sixth at the Hero Open and 15th at the Italian. Um, what I, the reason I really like him is um, he's from the world. He's from uh, just outside Hoylake. He's a member of Hoylake. Hey, Hoylake, he's grown up on the Lynx track. Um, and I mean, it's only a second full season on the European Tour. But at 25, he's got massive potential to get better. So Maddie Jordan, six to, 60 to 1 is my headline pick. So that's Maddie Jordan, 60 to 1. Second pick is a guy I've been following the last few weeks. He's playing really, really good golf. He's an American who's come over here, Sean Crocker. Um, so he's been top 20 in each of his last four starts. That includes a runner-up to Czech Masters and a tied fourth alongside Maddie Jordan at the uh, Omega Masters. So um, he's ninth in... Uh, no, he's not. Sorry, he's 14th in Green's regulation this season. He's a really, really good ball striker. Um, and his putter is what usually lets him down. But on a Lynx course, they're going to be a bit slower on the stint meter. Um, that might suit him. So he's 50 to 1, Sean Crocker. I think he's going to win really, really soon. My last pick this week is Nikolai Hogard, um, Rasmus' brother. Um, so he's the winner of the Italian Open there really, really recently. And he's at 60 to 1. I feel like he is a really good pick this week. He's probably looked at that European team and probably has a bit of fire under his belly and wanting to impress. Um, he's one of the leading lights in terms of the younger guys, along with his twin brother, Rasmus. Um, elite ball striker, ninth in driving distance, 24th Greens of regulation this year. Um, just feels like a perfect time for him to go and win another one and let everybody in the wider golfing world, especially the Americans, know that he's here and he's a problem. Um, and the fact that his win in Italy came at the course where the Ryder Cup is going to be held in two years, uh, I really like this play to back Nikolai this week. So my three, Nikolai Hogard, 60 to 1, Maddie Jordan, 60 to 1, Sean Crocker, 50 to 1. We're getting a winner. Very nice, bro. Our, Donnie, you, you convinced me to go on uh, Matthew Jordan. I wasn't going to have a bet, but I think I'm going to maybe maybe jump ship and, and go on to, to Matthew Jordan with you. So, uh, Brew, I think you had one pick as well that you wanted to... Yeah, look, I, I, I won't give it too long. I'll just Don't tell me game. it's Sam Horsfield. No, it's not. Okay, <laughs> to be honest, it's nearly as bad, Steve. I, I, I'm kind of, I'm kind of nearly saying, as bad. I'm kind of saying Fuck it you. Like this, you know, I'm kind of saying it with like to kind of, kind of hand over the, the fucking head, not looking at Steve's reaction. But uh, my um, my pick is going to be Bra Brandon Grace. Um, oh yeah, no, pick, yeah, no problems with that. Former winner, <laughs> no problems yeah. with that. I know. Yeah, to be honest, it, it was. I was looking at, I was looking at Brandon Grace or uh, Richard Bland. Um, and um Blandy. I wouldn't fancy Dickie now myself this, yeah, this so week. I, I was gonna go Richard Bland, but then I just saw Brandon Grace. He is quite short, I'm not gonna lie. I think I got him at 22 to 1 uh last night. I don't I don't know if, if he's moved in or out since that. Um, but look, I think it's a fairly weakened field. Um I think Billy Horschel is probably a standout for me, but I just think um at 14 to 1, he's he's a bit too short. Um, and I, I don't see Alex Narn winning um, at 14s to 1s as well. So I, I, I just think Brandon Grace, he's a good um, price at 22 to 1. And uh, yeah, sure, I will, I will leave it at that. And to be honest, I don't have any, any takes on it this week. I am um, just going with the PJ Tour. Hopefully, get a couple of bets. Are you turning it. your back on Team Europe, you fuck. I am. Yeah, they, they've ruined it for me now. And you're gonna start that. That you're gonna start having that Seamus Power accent now. You're gonna pretend I you're hope from so, Oklahoma yeah. State. We, we can go for a couple of points. We have Seamus 
I mean, talk about PJ. Oh, we'll, have to, we'll have to. I'd love. It would be absolutely brilliant to get Seamus on the pod at some point in time. We'll absolutely try our best because he's a phenomenal golfer. I would love to hear Seamus's like Powers, Seamus Powers' story in how he's gotten to where he has because he's mm-hmm. certainly gone a an unusual route as a European tour golfer or as a European golfer, you know. So, yeah, um, and a good Waterford awesome. man as well. Yep. Yeah. Only the best. Yeah, Only on the, the border with a with a with a cork leg, so wouldn't uh, expect anything less, you know. Yeah, forget about that now. Jeff Legend, thanks for coming on. We, we yeah, thanks so much, Jeff. Yeah, no worries, boys. Wish I could have stayed longer, but um, but I, I got an obligation with Mayo, which I've had to make shorter because I want to get to the ball game tonight, and it's the yeah. first game with more fans, and you got to show a Vax passport to get. No, I, yeah, you got to show ID to get in or verification. So it's yeah. I'm worried about the lines and shit. So oh, I'm sorry. I gotta, I gotta there's run a, there's off. Actually, there's, there's actually lines already, Jeff, to be honest. Actually, Way to make I feel better. No, I can actually see the stadium for my condo. There's actually a lot of people there already. Genuine. I believe that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, we'll have you on again anyway, Jeff. And yeah, we'll, anytime. Uh, Hit me up, guys. I'm happy to throw down swing season, normal yeah. season, anytime. Just message me. I'm, I'm yeah. game. I tell you, we'll awesome. get out for a game. We'll get out for a game of golf as well, right? Yeah, yeah. 100%. Listen, I made an offer, so I'll, yeah. I'll, you hit me up. I'll take you up. There's not much time left this year, but next spring, I don't know. Yeah. Just stay 100%, in touch. Hundred percent. Hundred percent. All the best, boys. Appreciate Go it, Jeff. Thanks, power. Jeff. Thank you. Go Shane's power. Jeff. Absolutely, Thank legend. You. See you later. <laughs> and there you go, on, lads. Sound in there for that. Um, it was great having pleasure, you. boys. Yeah. And a big thanks to Jeff for coming on Massive as well. That was a really, really good chat um, with, a, with a bit of a goat of the, the golf betting world. So thanks, Jeff, and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, same, boys. Just take a moment to admire the fact I just hit a fairway. There's, there's, there's only two things that can happen. You can hit a good shot or a bad shot, so why waste time doing it? And wherever I would go, I, wherever I set course records or whatever, I would be barefooted, drunk, playing golf, making every 20-footer I looked at. Right at it. Right at it! Home! Oh, He's Spain. done it again! This is the dumbest hole I've ever played in my life. Come on then, Shane. Knock it close. Shane Lowry is the Open champion.